So after last week's class, I went home and started preparing for this week, the second part of that mimer or Hasidic teaching. And I said, nah, we're not going to do this because um, it's just not for contemporary society. <laughs> it's not fly today. So I want to share with you the end of that mimer and then go into on a different one. Uh, so basically, what, what continues, okay, so let's, let's recap. We spoke about the month of Elul being a time, is there anybody here who was not here last week? No, everybody's the same people. Okay. <laughs> Somebody's missing, but everybody who, okay, everybody who's here was here last week. So, we said that the month of Elul is a time of Anile Dodi, and the month of Tishrei is a time of Dodili, the month of Elul. We take initiative to move towards Hashem, and the month of Tishrei is Hashem is facing us. And according to how much we invested in the month of Elul, in doing Teshuvah and coming closer to Hashem, that's how we're going to reap benefits in the month of Tishrei and be able to receive those incredible godly revelations that happened on Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur. And I said that that's how we create the vessels to contain the lights that are revealed on Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur. The Mimer continues on how the process of awakening teshuva. A person needs to awaken within themselves a desire to do teshuva. And then it says what to do if you don't succeed which is the part that's not really appropriate for us because it says to fast and to processes of self-affliction, which are not done today. It's not recommended today. If you want to do intermittent fasting for your health, that's up to you. But today we don't fast for, except for Yom Kippur and days like that, for teshuva purposes. Um, we could give tzedakah, though. And it is very recommended. As a matter of fact, the three things that change a bad decree in the time between Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur are, like it says in the Machzor, Teshuvah, Tefillah, and Tzedakah. Doing Teshuvah, stopping uh, the negative behaviors and starting new ones, better ones. Tefillah is prayer, and Tzedakah is, you know what that is, is giving. Um, in addition to the regular giving that we usually do, it's highly recommended to make sure before Rosh Hashanah, before Yom Kippur, to give charity specifically for the poor. In other words, we all give to our shul, to our school, to our Torah learning, to all those things, and we should continue to give. But there is an additional tzedakah that's particularly auspicious for being forgiven, and all of the tzedakahs are good for being forgiven. But specifically during this time, we need to give to the poor. And there are two sets of poor that we are responsible to, the poor in the land of Israel and the poor in our city. The poor, if a person, God forbid, has relatives who are needy, then they have a, an obligation to help them out first. If a person has relatives that are in need financially, their obligation is to them first. Then come the poor of your city, and at the same time, the poor of Eretz Israel. So there are certain charities in the land of Israel that are very auspicious. One of them is called Charity for Israel. And be careful, because when you Google it, a, a Christian charity comes up together with it. 
So this is charity for Israel, and make sure that it's the charity of Rabbi, Rabbi Menachem Mendel Glukowski. Remember I told you a story about the woman who had a near-death experience? That was with Rabbi Glukowski. Um, um, so that's, that's Rabbi Glukowski. He runs this charity. And then there is another one called Kol El Chabad. And both of those charities give to people who are needy. In other words, the money that you send there is going to go for people to buy wine, challah, and chicken to put on their Yom Tov table. Okay. Um, I don't know. There, there must be local charities in Atlanta. I haven't been here Yad so long. Yad Yad. There are local charities to give to as well. Okay. And the Mimer ends saying, the one that we cited last week, it ends by saying that there are certain activities, two things to do, that will assist us in keeping the inspiration and the light of Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur, those godly revelations that are lights that are revealed on Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur that, that we are going to collect in the vessels that we create in the month of Elul, in order to keep them for the next 12 months, there are two things that we can do. One is learn Torah, and the other one is do acts of kindness. So tzedakah is one act of kindness, and there are many more. Acts of kindness could require tremendous personal sacrifice, or they could be as simple as smiling to somebody that nobody else is smiling to. Um, an act of kindness could be being kind to somebody you don't like because they're annoying. And then it's exponentially increased because there is personal sacrifice in your kindness. An act of kindness that's especially meaningful is an act of kindness to a stranger who you've never seen before and you will never see them after, but they're in trouble right now and you go and assist them, like push their car or give them gas or whatever it is, if they're stuck in the road. Those are acts of kindness when it's done to a stranger is and with personal and or with personal sacrifice, it's increased exponentially in value and in light. This is something that I found in that mimer of the Alter Rebbe, of the first Lubavitcher Rebbe, and it's very fascinating to me because some of you might know that I have done extensive research in near-death experiences. And anybody heard my talk on near-death experiences here? One, two, three, four, five. Okay, half the people did. Good. So you know. So what I found, what I found most powerful in near-death experiences is that people have a life review in which they feel everything they caused others to feel. And there they realize that the only thing that's really, really valuable that stays with you forever are two things. What you learned and your acts of kindness. So it's amazing because... Our sages have been saying this for thousands of years, and nowadays people go, die, and are resurrected, and they go to another world and come back and report. All that matters is your acts of loving kindness and what you learned, which is exactly what we find in the two, 300-year-old books. Which, so that, to me, is very fascinating. Okay. Any questions before we close this mimer? Yeah. So the, this whole um, mimer is, I think you said, if it doesn't work, if the teshuva initially doesn't work, then here's the things that you do? Yeah, so basically, you need to sit down, take time with yourself to be alone, um, self-assess, 
and then decide there are aspects of me that I'm very proud of and there are aspects of me that I'm not so proud of. So those aspects I want to change. How am I going to change them? So you might break down in sobs and be completely heartbroken about the facts, the parts of yourself that are imperfect and with that tremendous impetus return to God. Or you might say, well, I did that, so no big deal. And in other words, that's in a case in which it's difficult to do tshuva because you don't really feel so terrible that you did that. And those are the cases in which the Alter Rebbe recommends what I said, it's not, it's not done today, which is fasting and self-affliction. These things that we don't do today because in the 200 years ago it worked. Today it doesn't work. Today it's different. We are different. If we fast, we get weak and we get sick and it doesn't work. So we, we don't, and if we self-afflict, uh, people can look at us like we're crazy. It doesn't work today. It's not for today. It was a certain kind of divine service from hundreds of years ago that was sort of like um, um, finished off by the Baal Shem Tov. Well, Baal Shem Tov said, we don't do that anymore. So, so it's not for us today. And then the, the altar, he said, you can't even really um, do real muster on yourself. You can't really kind of tear yourself down because he says our egos can't even handle it because we, we're too frail. You know, we are we're too not frail. Enough to our right. Own. So nowadays we are too frail, both physically and spiritually. Right. It used to be in the time of the Talmud, the Talmudic sages used to fast almost every day, but if they couldn't lift a pile of books, of like ten, twelve books this size with one finger, then they wouldn't fast because they were weak. So, you know, it's not for us. So what we do today is, and the Rebbe said, for us today, it's not even a thing to sit down and make a list of everything we did wrong and all that, because we're just going to get depressed. Nowadays, we're, like what you said, we are too frail for that. So instead, what do we do is we move forward. We say, okay, so from now on, this is what's going to happen without looking too much back, because sometimes we can look back, look at what went wrong, and just get depressed and get stuck in the depression part and, and not in the moving forward part. So nowadays what's recommended is just look to the future and say, from now on, this is what's happening. Rose, I have one question. Somebody, I think she was in your question, uh, somebody asked, what if the person you're asking to shoot for, not God, but you know, your forgiveness, forgiveness yeah. is not a lot. And it's not giving you forgiveness. What if we are still angry at, at those people, and then how do we actually let that go? I mean, I know that ideally we're, we're entrapped. You know, we're, we're still okay. So Okay, so let me tell you. I have another class on anger that's at Chabad.org, and it's called the Kabbalah of Anger Management. And you can watch that. If you ask a person for forgiveness and they say no, then you ask sincerely from the depths of your heart and really meaning it three times. If after you ask three times they say, I don't forgive you, then you've done your part and that's it. However, if you have anger or resentment against somebody, you need to realize how horribly that anger and resentment is hurting you. And then you have to release it. Because if you realize that, Holding on to the anger is like holding on to a burning coal that's burning your hand. But really what the anger is burning is your soul, your consciousness, and everything else about you. Then you need to let go.
because it's hurting me. So the anger and the resentment never hurt the other person. They always hurt the person who's feeling the anger. So it's very valuable to release anger. And for that purpose, in the before sleeping prayer, in the Shema of the night, is this the Shema of the morning, the Shema of the evening, and the Shema of before going to sleep. In that, in that section of the Siddur, it says, at the first prayer that we say before going to sleep is Hareni Mochel, I forgive. So every night before retiring, before going to bed, we say, I forgive whoever hurt me and abused me and, and stole my money and <laughs> caused me spiritual, physical, or emotional, or mental damage in any manner. I forgive them. They should not be punished. Not in the, and whoever hurt me in this life or in a previous life, the whole thing. And then what happens is that you remember that we said many times the spiritual worlds reflect the physical worlds. So when a person is forgiving to others, they are forgiving themselves. So the more you forgive others, the more you can be forgiven yourself. So it has uh, secondary effects that are very beneficial. <coughs> May I ask just one thing? Sure. Um, you mentioned um, you need to ask for forgiveness three times. Yeah. Um, so my question would be, uh, why three times in the specific situation that I have in mind, um, I asked for forgiveness in writing, um, and I didn't hear back. Yeah. And so, um, does that mean I should send another uh, email letter? Yeah, it, it's a little, it seems a little awkward to you know, yes. do it in writing, but it's, is that, can you elaborate just a little bit on that? Yeah, you could do it in writing. Or you can send an intermediary, a person who knows both people, both sides, and say, this person is asking your forgiveness for whatever, for this and that. Or you can send another email, or you can send a printed letter in the mail and say, please acknowledge receipt. I want to know you received this. Something of that sort. Maybe they forgive you. They just didn't say anything. Yes, so that's right. That's, that's, that's the difficult. So you can say that, rewrite it, make a few changes and say, you're sending this again because I want to know that you actually forgave me, which would benefit us both spiritually or whatever you yes. want to say. Yes, Yeah. Okay. So, so for, for the anger, there is the Kabbalah of Anger Management at Chabad.org that you can watch. If you know even this much Kabbalah, you know that anger is hell. Being angry is not that this person who's angry is going to hell, but they're already right now, already in hell. So it's not a good place to be. We have to work very, very hard on ourselves to never get angry, to never stay angry if we are angry. And there are stories in the Talmud and in the books of Musar that, that tell us of people who had incredible miracles happen to them and when they were asked, why did you deserve this miracle? They said, I'm a regular person. There's nothing special about me. And when they were pushed to say, tell me, tell me, tell me the truth. Why, why, what do you do that's unusual? They said, well, the only thing that I do different than everybody else is that I never hold a grudge. So there are stories of that sort. That what the person who had the miracle performed for them said, well, I, the only unusual thing about me is that I never hold a grudge. And if somebody hurt me very badly and I have a hard time releasing the resentment, then I don't allow myself to go to sleep at night until I worked on myself to forgive and let it go. And you can even say the words, I forgive so-and-so, I forgive, until you repeat the words until eventually they enter your own heart. 
and you can release. And it's hard work. It's very hard work. And it's just one sure. thing about the anger. Um, there's um, a concept. I know people that feel like it's a, they use what's called righteous indignation, mm -hmm. where they get angry and they feel self-righteous about being angry. That's still anger, yeah. right? So this is nothing to be proud of, um, to be self-righteous. No, what, what, what the righteous thing to do is, if you are able to solve and change things with your impetus, with your excitement, with your passion, then by all means you do have an obligation to go and change things. Um, but to have anger in your heart, God forbid. The Shulchan Aruch, the Code of Jewish Law, says there are two who can get angry, but only pretend to get angry. A teacher and a parent. So a teacher or a parent can show that they are upset to the student or the child, just so the student or the child understands that this is wrong to do. Because if you're always going to be smiling to whatever the kid does, oh, yes, yeah, sweet, sweetheart, yeah, that's okay. No, it's not okay. They have to know that they did something that's not okay and needs to be changed. But the anger is just apparent. It's not in your heart. And if the child needs you the next minute, you are there for them. It's not, God forbid, that you have any resentment. You are there. I'm here for you no matter what you did. But I'm just showing you with my face and my tone of voice that this wasn't a good idea so that you understand. So that's what it says in the Code of Jewish Law. A parent and teacher can pretend anger but not actually be angry, and God forbid never to hold anger in your heart. Not an easy one, but something to work towards for anybody who's looking for spiritual enlightenment is very powerful. As a matter of fact, going back to the near-death experiences, there were, there were people who, who in their near-death experience, they went to the other world, and they were rising in spiritual levels, and they got higher and higher in the spiritual worlds, and then an angel said to him, at this point, if you want to progress any further, you need to forgive everyone who ever hurt you or did cause you any damage. And the person who had died, whose soul was there, said, that was too hard, said to the angel, that is too hard because some people hurt me very badly or caused me a lot of damage or stole my money or, or, or swindled or whoever, terrible things. So the angel said, yeah, but... The only way you can keep on rising higher at this moment is by forgiving. So you can reach a certain level and your own merits spiritually, but to go flying way, way, way higher, you reach great spiritual levels by forgiving. So the guy said, well, it was worth it. It was, it was, a, good, it was a good business deal. If the only thing I had to do to get to those incredible spiritual heights was to forgive, it was a cheap price to pay. So he said, I felt feelings of forgiveness inundating me, filling me completely. And then the angel and I took up, took off, and we rose much, much higher at an incredible vibration. Yeah. That kind of reminded me when you said business deal. All right, so let's say somebody stole uh, a lot of money from you, but... At some point, everything happens for a reason. So at some point, there is a $100,000 lesson there. Yeah. You know, whether we can figure it out or not, we learned a very difficult, painful lesson. So you can just thank those at people for giving end, us the... Yes, the, and at the end of the day, you don't have a dime more or less than what God intended exactly. for you to have. It was for that and right. that's part of the emuna, of the belief in God, 
that at the end of the day, no matter who gave you what and who took what, what's in your bank account today is exactly what God decided is going to be in your bank account today from the beginning of creation 6,000 years ago. That was predetermined. So, so having that belief that the Muna is very helpful in not getting angry because you know everything that happens is from God. Okay, and now we can start today's topic. <laughs> okay. So, oh, you have a handout, right? Okay. Out of the depths, I call to you. This is Psalm 130, which is said every day from Rosh Hashanah to Yom Kippur um, in the morning prayers. So when you look in your Siddur, you will find in the morning prayers around the area of the Shema that there is a small psalm, it's very short, um, in my Siddur is at the bottom of the page, and it's, it's been accepted by everybody. It, it, was in, it, was, um, it was decided by a Kabbalist, the Arizal, that this should be said, that this short psalm should be said in the morning prayers from Rosh Hashanah to Yom Kippur, and it was accepted pretty much by everybody, not just by Chabad, but by most Jews. Okay, so if you have a pen there, you can highlight. It says, a song of ascents, Shiramalos, Mimamakim Krasicha Hashem. Out of the depths, I call to you, Hashem. So out of the depths, that's what we're going to be dealing with, out of the depths. So what are these depths? So it says, Hashem, my Lord, I hearken to my voice. Let your ears be attentive to the sound of my pleas. God, if you were to preserve iniquities, my Lord, who could survive? In other words, if Hashem would not forgive us for our sins, nobody would be able to still be here. But forgiveness is with you that you may be held in awe. That when Hashem forgives us, we are able to have more awe of Hashem because he's forgiving on top of everything. I hope in Hashem, my soul hopes and, and I long for his word. My soul yearns for Hashem more than those awaiting the morning, wait for the morning. Israel, your, your hope, sorry, put your hope in Hashem for with Hashem there is kindness and with him there is abounding deliverance or salvation. And Hashem will redeem Israel from all its iniquities, from all our boo-boos, mistakes, mess-ups, blunders. He will redeem us from everything. So you can out, um, underline out of the depths, and Hashem will redeem Israel from all of his iniquities. So basically, we call out to Hashem from the depths, and he responds to us, and he will forgive us and redeem us, from all the mess-ups that we did, from all the mitzvahs that we broke, that we did, what we did do, that we didn't do, whatever, whatever that was. Now, following is a piece of Zohar, and I apologize, I was not able to find, neither was Rabbi Solish, the translation for this into English. So, but it looks so cool, doesn't it? <laughs> so, we'll do a little bit. It's a piece of Zohar that explains and questions and elaborates on this chapter of Tehillim. And it says, Rabbi Chizkiya Pasach, Rabbi Chizkiya opened up by say, by quoting this verse. Anybody here actually reads or speaks Hebrew? Yeah. Reads? Yeah? Read you can read it, okay. So, so Rabbi Chizkiya uh, is one of the Tanaim, is one of the sages in the time of the Mishnah. 
And he, he opened, he opened the conversation by quoting Shiram Alos Mimamakim Krasi Hashem, a song of ascents from the depths, I called you Hashem. And he says that Shiram Alos Sasam, it closed and did not explain who is saying this Shiram Alos. But Shiram Alos, that invites all the people of the world. I'm doing a simultaneous translation, I'm reading the text in my brain and saying to, to you in English. This is a Shiram Alos that's not specific to anybody. It's inviting all the people in the world to say this, to say this song for, for all the inhabitants of the world, for Hashem. Okay. Now, there is another psalm, Psalm 119, where King David says, Bechol I seek you with all my, I have seeked you with all my heart. Lev is heart, Levi is my heart. Behold, Levi, with all my heart, the Rashticha, I'm asking for you, I'm seeking you. So what is the difference between seeking God with all my heart and calling out to him from the depths? Isn't the depths like the depths of my heart? What is the difference? And why is this psalm, the one that says, I have called out to you from the depths, why is this one the one chosen for the day, the 10 days from Rosh Hashanah to Yom Kippur? You were supposed to be quiet. Okay. It's calling out to you from the depths. Yeah. Okay. Now, so we say this psalm during the 10 days of Teshuvah. That means that we're going to say it 10 times, 10 days. Each one of those days, we are calling from the depth. And from the depth, we are bringing into the sefirot. Remember, the sefirot are the 10 divine manifestations through which God communicates with his universe. So the first one is chokhmah, which is wisdom. So on the first day, we call from the depths. And from the depths, we bring from the supernal depths. We bring down we bring down something into Chochmah, into the first sphere, into wisdom. And the second day we bring again all the way from the depths into Bina, the second. It's not like like every day we're going step by step, Chochmah, Bina, and that's every one of the ten days we bring all the way from the depths, yeah, we're going to discuss soon, into each of the sephiros. And then it ends up by saying that Hashem will redeem all of us. And in the end, he will redeem Israel from all its iniquities. So the question is, how could he redeem us if we have broken his will? Hashem created a universe that is designed to exist in order for the Torah to be kept. And some Shlemazel goes and breaks the law of the Torah. Somebody goes and doesn't do what he's supposed to do. It doesn't keep Shabbos, doesn't eat kosher, doesn't speak nicely, whatever it is, one of us. And we all do it, actually, every day. We go and do something wrong. So that he, he has distorted, he has messed up the entire cosmos because the cosmos was designed for us to keep the Torah. We went and we broke the design that it was supposed to carry out. We messed up. How could we be forgiven for that? Hashem doesn't change his mind. He said he wants us to do, do this, and we did that. So we messed up. How could he forgive us? Is he changing his mind when he forgives us, yeah? 
what I'm saying here is it starts out personal. I mean, I call. Yes. But it ends up because I'm calling out, I'm doing to Shula, yeah. all of Israel benefits. Beautiful. I love your, your point. <laughs> yeah. You notice that something, a, a good detail. Thank you for bringing it up. We're all in the same boat, basically. And if one of us makes a hole in the bottom of the boat, everybody sinks, no matter whose seat it's under. So when one of us repairs the hole underneath whoever seat it is, it helps everybody else to be in a boat that's floating. But also, if it's a Venu, first it's my father, you expect forgiveness. Yeah. Yeah. But our father happens to be a king, too. So how are we going to deal with this? Okay. So now in order to do teshuva and fix what was broken with the iniquities or whatever mess-ups we did, we need to reach beyond the cosmic order. In Kabbalah terms, it's called seder hishtalshelus, the order of development, how things go from level to level, how the world, how the universe was created. Wait, how do you, can you say it again? Hebrew? In Hebrew? Yeah. Seder. Seder. You speak Hebrew? Seder hishtalshelut. mit mishtalshel me'ayin le'yesh. Is that the hishtalshelut? Pardon? No. It's not hishtalshelut. It's like a chain of developments. Okay. So, when we did a sin, we messed up the order of the cosmos. In order to repair it, we can't just repair it within the cosmos, we need to transcend and go beyond. So now we need to understand how to go beyond the Sadarishtashalus, the order of creation, the order of, yeah. So there are two things that are beyond, that are beyond the 10 sephiros, the 10 godly manifestations, that are beyond the order of creation and all the worlds. And they are will and enjoyment. So when, if we try to understand God, and we try to understand, okay, well, it's impossible. But we try to understand a tiny, 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 tiny fraction of the infinite, which is impossible. But still, we still have to try. So within ourselves, there is also will or desire. And there is enjoyment or pleasure. And usually when we do something is either is because we desire this. I, 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 I want a steak. I want chocolate uh, ice cream. I want to listen to this symphony if I'm a little bit more refined. I want to wear that perfume. Whatever it is, that's a want. And then there is something that's beyond. And within the want, there are two layers, there are two levels of want or desire. When God creates the world, he has two types of ratzon, two types of desire or want. One is, I want a world. And that is, and that's a ratzon chitzoni. It is a superficial want. Because it's, I want to have a world. But why does he want to have a world? He wants to have a world because what he really wants, his ratzon pnimi, his internal desire, is to have Jewish people who are going to do mitzvot and learn Torah. 
So there is the external want or desire and the internal one. The external want or desire is he desired to have a world, therefore he created the world. But what did he really want, what his internal desire, is to have the Jewish people doing the Torah and the mitzvahs. And with us, we can understand it in ourselves because we can say, I want to have a job. But do I really want to work in an office from 9 to 5? No. I want to have a job so that I could have money, so that I could buy the things that I really want. So one thing, I want to have a job is the superficial, is the external desire and want. Um, I want to have the money that the job is going to give me is the internal. Unless you are lucky like me and your job is teaching Torah, in which case my desire to teach Torah is greater than my desire for the paycheck. But, or if you are a doctor who wants to heal people or whatever it is, if you're, if you're lucky to have one of those jobs, that's amazing. But usually there is the external desire, which is I want to have a job, and the real or internal desire, which is I want the job to pay me money with which I will buy the things that I need and the things that I want. So that transcends the order of creation, that desire that God has to have a world and to have Jewish people doing mitzvot. There is something that is beyond beyond, that's more transcendent even, and that is ta'anug, pleasure or satisfaction or enjoyment. And you don't even need to have a desire in order to enjoy. You can build a house that's your custom-designed home, or you found the house as exactly as you want, and just sitting in that house, you don't need to be doing anything. You can just have a sense of pleasure or enjoyment from being in that house that you designed or you acquired as to your specifications, and it's perfect. And you can just sit and do nothing, and you're enjoying. So that's an internal thing. If you have children or grandchildren and a child comes and hugs you, then that would be a level of enjoyment because this child who's an extension of me, who is me but not really me, who came from me and is me outside of me, wants to come and give me a hug and that is a great enjoyment. So what happens is that when you have ratzon, when you have desire, the word ratzon is, has the same root as the word rats, which means to run. When you have a desire or a want, you run towards the thing that you want. You're attracted to the thing, you run towards it. But tanug is beyond in a way that you can just be still and peaceful and you're not running anywhere. You're just having that enjoyment of whatever it is that you enjoy. So what happens is that the Neshamos Israel, the Jewish souls, give the Creator an incredible sense of enjoyment. This is what he really wants. He first created the Torah and the souls, and then he created the world for them to do their thing. Now there are two different kinds of enjoyments that Hashem has with the Jewish souls. What are they? Similar to what a parent might have with a child, when the child is born and the child is just a baby and the child's exclusive achievement is to have filled a diaper, 
Nonetheless, the parents still have great enjoyment and pleasure from this tiny little bundle of noise that screams the whole night and keeps them awake and makes dirty and, and smelly diapers and whatever it is. And the parents can't stop talking about the kid and taking pictures and showing everybody and on and on and on and on because they're so obsessed with enjoying that little tiny baby who hasn't given them a thing yet. So that is the tanug, the enjoyment that the Jewish souls give the Creator just because we are, without us doing anything. The Creator of the universe has infinite pleasure in you and you and you and you and me just because we are. Isn't that great? We make God happy just because we exist. That's one level of pleasure or tanuk or enjoyment that we give God. The other one is the one that we give him with our accomplishments. Like this baby grows up and goes to school and comes home with a nice report card. Yay, that feels good. And then she or he go to Harvard and get a doctorate. Wow, amazing. My kid got a doctorate from Harvard. Now I'm bragging and who knows what. I'm having a different kind of enjoyment. And that's an enjoyment in the achievement. And that's the enjoyment that the Creator has in all of us when we do a mitzvah or we learn Torah. It says, yay, my kid gave tzedakah, my kid learned Torah, my kid smiled at somebody who was sad, whatever. So those are the two kinds. Guess which one is more powerful and deeper and greater? It's the enjoyment of the baby that's just keeping you awake all night and filling diapers. Just that pleasure that God has in us just because we are. So that's in a very, very deep place. And it's very, very hidden. To reach that very, very deep place, remember the mirror image? To reach that very, very deep place within the Creator, we need to reach a very, very deep place within ourselves. And that's a very, very deep place that we call Mima Makim, out of the depths. That's the depth of our soul a part of our soul with which we never sinned. There is a deep, deep part of our soul that never sinned, that was never soiled with sin. It's the part that's very deep and says, I never wanted to do that. I was screaming and crying when you did that. I didn't want to do that. So in order to do a very, very deep teshuva, that will reach the depths above of the spiritual worlds, a depth that transcends the Seder Ishtal Shirut, a depth that transcends the order of the cosmos and the order of creation and the order of everything. In order to reach that depth, we need to find that depth in us and do Teshuvah with that place, the place of me that never wanted to go against God's will to begin with. And that part is... Immaculate, it never got stained. So we reach into that. And then through reaching deep within ourselves, we reach deep within the divine pleasure, the divine enjoyment of us, and we get 
a response that's a mirror reflection of our attitude. And that is like when the little kid, the small child, the one-year-old or two-year-old comes running to the parent or the grandparent and says nothing but gives you a hug. And that touches the depths of your soul because the kid is me and not me at the same time. It's from me, but not really me. So that's what we are doing to, to God when we come back and give him a hug. We are doing teshuva. Hashem, I never wanted to get away from you. I never wanted to upset you. If I had known how much it upsets you when I do something wrong, I would have never done it. So we reached out to that place and we are able to reach up to Hashem. And then what happens is that we are bringing also, we are bringing into the order of creation a light, a spiritual light that transcends the order of creation. You know, maybe you know, that there are two kinds of divine energies, the one that's within the world and the one that's beyond the world. They are called or memale, the, the light that fills the world and keeps the world alive. And the, and the other one is the or sovev, the light that transcends the world. That, like the word sovev means surrounds, but it doesn't mean physically surrounds it. It just it means it's a light so great that it doesn't belong within a physical world, so it's transcendent of the world. And when we do teshuva, we are accessing that incredible or sovev, that in, when we do teshuva, we are accessing that incredible light that transcends everything, that transcends the world, that transcends the cosmos, and transcends the order of creation. And that light comes down into our physical universe because we did teshuva. And like you said before, my doing teshuva affects the whole universe. If everybody did teshuva, it would be the end of life as we know it, and Mashiach would come. But even if one person does teshuva, it's already bringing that incredible light that transcends the universe to, to the entire world. And what that light does is a few things. One of them is it repairs and heals. Because you know that when I did something wrong, let's say that I lost my temper, God forbid, or that I said an unkind word to someone, God forbid, then what I created is like a breach in the system. Like I tore open a hole and the light that's supposed to come on a regular basis to, to sustain the world got deviated and went somewhere else. It went to the evil side because of my mistake. So now when I'm doing teshuva, the teshuva is closing the gap, is closing the wound, is bringing healing, and then the light could be redirected and it's taken away from the evil side, from the sitra achra, and is brought back to where it belongs whatever place in the world that light belonged in. So my doing teshuva is closing the gap and repairing everything. And that's why uh, the sages in the Talmud said, Gedolah teshuva la'olam. Teshuva is very great because it brings healing to the world. Now you know that, um, I said this in the teshuva class, but I want to repeat it again, that was a year ago. If I were to remember everything I ate today and put it on this table, it would be a lot of food. There's a banana and a can of tuna and a box of crackers and a tomato and who knows what else. All the things that I ate today would fill up, let's say, a quarter of this table. But if I took the vitamins that I take every day, 
it wouldn't cover the quarter a quarter of the table. It would cover this much. Even if I take six, seven vitamins, it would just be this little small. And if I'm talking about, and if God forbid somebody needs an antibiotic because they have a, a serious infection, the antibiotic would bring them healing, and it's just a pill this size. I remember being very, very sick in bed, and I couldn't move, and I took an antibiotic, and a few hours later, I was almost normal again. It was incredible. It was shocking. Not that I want anybody to take antibiotics. When, when there is no other choice, then they help a lot. So why am I telling you this? Because the food that you ate the whole day is keeping you, it's giving you energy, it's keeping you alive, and it's necessary. But the medicine that you need to take whenever you need to take medicine could be 1% of the size of the food that you're ingesting, and yet it's bringing you healing. So the same thing with teshuva. We do a lot, a lot of things every day, but when we do a tiny bit of teshuva, that teshuva is the healing, is the medicine that brings healing to everything else. Even, even though, and like the, the example of what happened to me when I took the antibiotics is a very powerful example. One moment I felt so sick I couldn't move from my bed, and after I took the antibiotic, I felt so much better very quickly. So when we do teshuva, we are transformed by the teshuva. So teshuva is very great because it brings healing. And not just to the individual, but olam. it brings healing to the world, to, to, to everybody. So the more people that do teshuva, the greater it is. Now, before we did teshuva, this pleasure that God has with us, with our, this enjoyment that he has in our existence, was very, very hidden. When we do teshuva from our depth, it reaches into his deep, deep, deep place, and then it becomes more revealed. Perhaps not to our human eyes, but in the system of the cosmos, it becomes revealed that deep pleasure that the Creator has in us just because we exist. So it becomes revealed through, through the teshuva because the teshuva reveals the depths of the ratzon, the depths of Hashem's desire that brings up also the depth of God's pleasure and satisfaction and enjoyment in our existence. And remember I said last week that when you do teshuva, you get tested? So just on the way here, I remembered a, a, a fascinating story that happened to somebody I know. So we lived for five years in Los Angeles. And in our shul, there was somebody who was a semi-rabbi of the shul. He used to give a Torah class on Shabbos and Sundays. And his name is David Sachs. By, by profession, David Sachs is a Hollywood writer. But what he really loves is learning and teaching Torah. So it's, again, it's his outer desire and his inner desire. So he told us one time, he gave a speech for the congregation one time, and he told us that years ago, before he was married, he um, decided to keep Shabbat, decided to find out more about Torah and decided to keep Shabbat. And he was young, and he was just starting his career, and he had just finished his studies and had not started to work yet. So just when he decided to keep Shabbat, what do you know, next thing, he lands an incredible job with a big company in Hollywood who offers him an amazing contract. Every writer's dream of bold dreams. And he goes to sign the contract and he says, I want to let you know 
that I keep Shabbat and therefore I will not be able to work on Friday nights and Saturdays. And they look at him like, you crazy? You're landing such a contract? You're just starting and you're landing such a contract? And you're going to give us conditions? They told him, our meetings are on Saturday. You're not coming, you're out. So he gave up that contract, which was incredible because it was tremendous restraint and self-sacrifice to give up that contract. It was, which, I mean, after that, he was in the garbage forever. He was never going to go anywhere after that. And you know what happened next? Two things happened. One is they came chasing after him. They, they told him we changed our minds. We are going to move our meetings from Saturday to another day so that we can hire you. And the other thing that happened after that is he says, I met my wife after that, which he considered part of the reward for this incredible mitzvah. But this doesn't always happen. The test, yes. When we do teshuvah, yes, we are tested. The reward the next day, that doesn't always happen. But we are usually tested when we do teshuvah to see if we really meant that teshuvah. With, and, and his was a very difficult test. Um, but the reward is not always apparent the next day. Sometimes it takes us many, many years to see the reward. And as a matter of fact, our sages say that reward for the mitzvahs is not in this world, it's in the next world. Only a, a, a fragment or the fruit or the fruit of, in other words, like the reward for the mitzvah is like a tree that you get in the other world. But the fruit that falls off of that tree, you get in this world. And the only mitzvah for which you are rewarded in this world for sure is tzedakah. If you give tzedakah, minimum of 10% of your income, you are assured that God will pay back to you for that tzedakah. All the other mitzvahs, and, and more than 10%, of course, all the other mitzvahs, um, you have to wait. Sometimes you get rewarded here, sometimes you don't get rewarded here. So I want to make sure that I responded to, to the questions, and I don't think I responded to all the questions. At the beginning, I asked the question, why do we say this particular chapter during the 10 days of Teshuvah, out of the depths, and then there is another chapter where King David says, chapter 119, which is the longest, and it's quite a few pages, many pages long, um, chapter 119. And this one, 130, is very short. So in chapter 119, it says, with, I have asked for you, I have searched for you, God, with my entire heart. So why don't we say the one about my entire heart in the 10 days of Teshuvah, aside from the fact that it's way too long, and we do say the one about from the depths, because what it says, my, I seek you, God, with my entire heart, that was King David speaking, and he had completely wiped out any non-divine desire from his heart. He had worked on himself by fasting, many fasts. Again, don't do it. He had fasted so much until he had no desires of anything of this world that was not connected, that was not serving God. So he says, My heart is like a corpse inside of me. Usually your heart is full of desires, but his heart was like a corpse. It had no desires other than only to serve Hashem. So what he's saying, with all my heart, I, have, I, I, I seek to you, Hashem, 
That all my heart refers to all of the order of creation, the entire cosmos. But Mimama came from the depth, that's what transcends the cosmos. And that's the calling God from the very, very, very depth of your soul, the part that was never involved in any sin that reaches to the very, very, very depths of God's pleasure, which is the, the pleasure that he has in us because we are his children, we are his people. And so, may it be God's will that he helps us and we all get to this incredible level of teshuva and returning to God with a full heart and from the depth and that he responds to us in the same way and that we have an amazing Rosh Hashanah and an amazing Yom Kippur with incredible spiritual depth and heights and flying high. And he should re respond positively to all of our prayers and requests and especially the request that he should bring Mashiach now. And are there any questions? So when we um, respond from our depths, out of the depths, and then we realize we are a pure, infinite soul, but then we have made mistakes and we've acted poorly, um, it doesn't seem like there's an actual connection because our soul didn't do any of that. So we're still pure. Our soul did. And it soul. did, and the soul was stained. But there is a depth of the soul. There is a part of the soul in the depths of the depths that was not involved. The part of you that is so deep that when you were, you, when we were doing the wrong thing, it was screaming and crying, I don't want to, I don't want to, I don't yeah. want you. So the ego is a part of the soul is the ego as well? If, if our ego were responding... It gets complicated because we have more than one soul. And... The soul has five layers, and the ego is, is part of the animal soul that has wants and desires connected to the physical world. And the godly soul is the soul that wants to only serve God. And within that soul, there is a very deep part that remains unstained. But unfortunately, when do we do wrong, yes, the soul becomes stained. And the teshuva cleanses it. So the Teshuva brings healing and brings cleansing. And that's why Yom Kippur is laundry day, because we become cleansed from everything. All we have to do is just fast and pray, and then we are forgiven. Yeah? You made a distinction, uh, Mrs. Freeman, about um, uh, the difference between the depths of our heart and uh, the, or the, the inner part of our heart, if I remember, if I... If I there is the, the inner desire and the outer desire. The inner will and the outer will, yeah? Uh, so, so the outer will would be, I want to have a job, and the inner will would be, I want to do this and this with the money that I get from the job. So uh, this is what I really, really want, and what I need to do in order to get that. But I still want to have a job. Well, why do I want to have a job? Not because I love working in an office, but because I want money to do the what I really so one want. one of those is like primary and one of those is secondary to support the primary choice, right? Yes, so basically, but, yes. So my, 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 my nature of my question is a little different. I want to really understand the distinction that you're making when you say out of the depths versus some other thing, like from, the, from my inner heart or some other metaphor that we talk about. Is there something in, in the phrasing or in the, in the significance and meaning of depths 
Is it, is it about that we need to humble ourselves? Is it the fact that we are understanding that we're in a, in a, we have a, a, a lot of growth to, 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 uh, to make, to achieve a higher level? What, what is the, the, the real essence of what the death is all about? Have you ever had a spiritual experience where it was either a place or a time where you just broke down in tears and sobs because your depth was touched and you didn't even know why you're crying? So I had that kind of experience in a few places. One of them was in the, there is a tunnel that runs close to the welling wall, the Kotel. And, and um, one of the times that we visited Israel, I had not been there in a very long time. And we went to the wall to pray. And I was expecting a great spiritual revelation. And you know what? Nothing happened. I went and I prayed, and it was almost the same as praying at home. I didn't feel anything. And I was crushed. I was so disappointed. And then, because I was coming with expectations for a spiritual experience, and I didn't have it. So then we went down, and we went in that tunnel, and we came to a little alcove about the size of the Arana Kodesh, and in the women's section. And there is another one in the men's section that's in a, in a different level, in a different uh, a tunnel that's in a different level. And in that little alcove, they tell you, this is the closest that you can get to the Kodesh HaKodeshim, to the Holy of Holies. And I got there, and I took a book of Tehillim, and I opened it, and I couldn't say a word. I just broke down in sobs and crying, and why? It reached something very deep inside me, something that I wasn't even aware that's there. And that was, according to what we learned last week, Anitaruta de la Ela, an awakening from above. I was in a very, very, very holy place, and therefore it caused in me a spiritual awakening. I didn't work for that. All I did was, you know, go to the place. So I didn't work for that. But then I felt that a depth inside of me was awakening. So we are expected to awaken that depth in our teshuva. Because you can do teshuva for many reasons. You can do teshuva because I don't want to be punished. I did something wrong. I don't want to be punished. So I'm going to do teshuva and stop doing it so I don't get in trouble. And that would be teshuva. And I will be accepted. And that person will not be punished. But they only did it on a very superficial level of teshuva. Mi mama came from the depths is when I'm devastated that I could have possibly thought of doing something that's the opposite of the creator of the of the will of the creator, and that will reach deeper and deeper within me. When I am just devastated because I broke, I went against the will of the creator, that reaches a deeper level, so a depth within me. So we have to reach that depth. In other words, not just do a teshuva that's superficial, but a very, very, a teshuva from the depths of the soul, and not just from the surface of the soul, but from the depths of the depths of the soul. I got lost. I don't know if I answered your question. Maybe I didn't. You did, thank you. Uh, if, may I paraphrase it just to make sure I got it? Sure. So I, so I think we Then we'll make sure that I got it, too. Hey, we'll, we'll forget about it. Uh, so, um, it sounds like you're saying that you, you come to a recognition of your core, your inner soul, and when, that, when you do see that, 
you can see a discrepancy between what God might want from you and how you can be at your best and what difference there is between where you are and that place and you really want to reconnect with that. Exactly. Oh, yes. and, and, and it reaches the depth of your soul because you don't want to, there to be such a discrepancy. You want to be in the best place that your creator created you to be in that place. You want to be in that place. And when you recognize that you're not there and it breaks you, then you have reached the depth. And then you reach the depth above. And I have had this experience in places and in times. In places was at the tunnel by the wall. It was another time it was in the Altenaya Shul. That's the synagogue in Prague from the Maharal. Um, I've reached that at the tomb of our mother, Rachel, and at the tomb of our fathers. I've felt that way in the tomb of Rabbi um, Rashbi, Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai, and at, and at the end of Yom Kippur. At the end of Yom Kippur is the climax of everything. You have the whole 30 days of Elul to do Teshuvah, and then Rosh Hashanah, and then 10 days of Teshuvah, and then Yom Kippur. And then at the end of Yom Kippur, when the Shekhinah is rising and going back up, you want to hold on to it and go up with it. And that is a very, very, very powerful moment. Oh, you can reach this, this uh, feeling any time during the 10 days of Teshuvah. Those are the revelations that I was talking about last week that we need to prepare now so we can be there at that time. Otherwise, we can't expect spiritual experiences and receiving the incredible light if we didn't you know, work towards it. So, so yes, it's a very progressive um, system that we work deeper and deeper and deeper and until we reach the, the real depth of our soul, that the part that never, never, ever wants to be disconnected, the part that never was disconnected, because it, it always wanted to be connected with God and do what he wants. But it's to with Hashem before family or people. So it all works together. Um, first, a person needs to think, what do I need to repair? And then if they need to repair uh, something with, with other people, go and talk to the people. And then go and say, Hashem, you know, I did this. I asked for forgiveness. I hope that you forgive me too, and he will. And yeah, and it all works it's together. Stick, that's the hard part. So, yeah, yeah, keeping to it. That's why after Yom Kippur, we need to start keeping up to it, giving tzedakah every day, even if it's a few coins in a tzedakah box, to do that every morning and every afternoon except for Shabbat. Uh, learning Torah every day, even if it's 10 minutes, because otherwise, how you, that's what I said, you know, when I talked about the other mimer, that we need to give tzedakah and learn, every, do acts of kindness and learn Torah every day, because that's what's going to hold it, that's, uh, that's how you hold on to it. Otherwise, the day after Yom Kippur, we get so busy getting back to work, and we completely forget, you know, who we were yesterday crying in shul. So we need to hold on to it with action. Anything else? Shall we meditate? Somebody wants to turn off the lights? Everybody, please turn off your phones. Thank you. <sighs> <laughs>
Thank you. I think that last week we saw that they're all turned off here. They're all turned off in that side, yeah. no? I think so. Yeah. Next two weeks. Yeah. Okay, deep breath, everybody. Both feet on the ground, your back and hips against the back of the chair, hands on your lap. Everybody's phones turned off or on airplane mode. Deep breath, fill your belly up with air. As you exhale, all your tension dissolves. Deep, slow, cleansing breath. Again, as you exhale, release all your stress. Release all your tension. Your head is completely relaxed, your scalp, your forehead, eyebrows, eyelids, cheeks, tongue, jaw, and neck completely relaxed. Feel the wave of relaxation washing down your back. Your back is completely relaxed. Feel your chest relax and all your vital organs inside you are doing their work in harmony, in good and vibrant health and relaxed. Let your arms relax from your shoulders all the way down to your hands. Feel your hands relax and your fingers, every one of your fingers. Let them relax right on your lap. Feel your abdomen relax and your hips and your thighs, feel them heavily on the chair. Let your knees relax and your legs, your feet and toes. Another deep breath and as you exhale, release any tension through the soles of your feet. We are reaching deep, deep within our souls. <clears throat> deep, deep within our souls to the place that's completely pure and pristine 
the place I was never involved in any wrongdoing. The depth of our soul that's constantly connected above. Deep, deep in your soul. And we hear the depth of our soul cry out. Vedodili, I want to be with my beloved above. Here, as I am here below in the physical, I want to still be with my beloved, Hashem. And you can't see, but you can feel Hashem smiling at you. And you can feel that as we return into Shuva, we're coming closer to Hashem. Hashem surrounds us with His powerful, infinite, unconditional loving hug. We are completely surrounded in divine unconditional love. You can feel the divine smile smiling at you as you're coming back to him in teshuva and you allow Hashem's embrace to hold you and carry you. You are dancing with your Creator. Dancing with our Creator. In another few days, we will be praying, we will be in shul, we will be calling out Avinu Malkeinu, our Father, our King. With the love of a child to their father, with the awe of a subject to their king. It's a once a year experience of Rosh Hashanah when we ask Hashem to be our king. See yourself praying Avinu Malkeinu our Father, our King, from the depth of your soul.
we make a commitment to be fully there completely present in the experience of Rosh Hashanah prayers and Yom Kippur fasting and prayers we have another few days to prepare another few days of Elul we are going towards the palace together with the king as we set our intentions for Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur fix them strongly in your mind Fix your intentions strongly in your heart and in your soul. And take your intentions with you. Even as you come out of this meditation, you will take with you your desire to reunite with your beloved your teshuva from the depth of your soul the divine smile you will take with you the divine smile that's letting you know that your creator has incredible enjoyment in you because you are what a joy Bring with you the feeling of the warmth of the embrace of unconditional divine love. Keep it with you, bring it with you, so that you may take it home with you. even as we come back to this room and to this place coming back gently at the count of four one two start to move your fingers and toes three and four when you are ready, you may open your eyes.